It really starts the moment you get back on the airplane and people complain about the littlest things, right? Oh, there's no more red wine or something. You're like, you just got on a plane in Rio. You know, you're better off than 99% of people that live there. What are you complaining about? And this is really one of the kind of mind-opening aspects of travel that I love so much. Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories of freedom and adventure from travelers around the world. Here is your host, Hayden Lee. The way I see it, there's many different types of traveler, but there's two distinct types that really jump out of you. One of them is being a solo traveler. People travel by themselves, refer to themselves as solo travelers. Now, what's the benefit of this? So when you're traveling, you want to be the real full you. What do I mean by that? Well, when you're around people, the way you act, the way you think about things, the way you come to decisions is influenced by the people that you're around. You are, as we know, the average of the five people you're around the most. So that is influencing your decisions. When you're traveling, you want to be you when no one's around. Who are you when nobody's around? You want to take that person and take that person on that journey to learn about who he or she is. Now, what about the other side of the coin? So traveling with a group, what are the benefits of this? So traveling with a group, you can find yourself in positions and situations that you never thought you would be. How do you get into those? Well, if you're in a group, maybe you'll come come across a situation where it's, I would never go do that. But maybe the group pushes you into it. Maybe they offer something and you say yes, when maybe you want to say no, and you find yourself in a situation that you're so glad you said yes to, a situation you probably wouldn't have been in had you gone solo traveling. Our guest today is Johannes Kerpel. Now, he is the CEO of We Travel. I stumbled across this recently, and it is fantastic. We do, in this episode, talk quite a lot about We Travel, and that is simply because, as you know me, guys, I would never talk about anything to this length that I don't think is great. I shall let Johannes tell you all about it. I think you guys are going to really dig it. And he brings with him today an awesome kind of James Bond-themed story. You're going to really love this one. I know I did. So let's Let's dive into it. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Johannes Kerpel. Johannes, how's it going, man? Very good, Hayden. Awesome, awesome. Good to have you on, dude. Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. Really happy. Yeah, man. And I'm loving what you do as well. I mean, I usually jump into what people do and what people come on to uh, to kind of talk about after the story, but I'm so excited about We Travel, man. So I checked it out and it just looks awesome. So uh, let me get this straight. See if I've got this right. So you make like a trip, like a, you, you know, you create a trip. I'm going to go here. I've got a yoga retreat that I want to do here. And then you can, uh, people can join it and everything like this. Is that, have I kind of got in the ballpark? Yeah, absolutely. If you if you know services like Evite or Eventbrite, where you just create your own event and then people join it, you can collect money through it, etc. It's the same thing, but more specialized for group travel because you have all kinds of special requirements, right? Like if you have a big group trip, you from the first normally collect a deposit. You have to communicate with all these people before, during, and after. Yeah, and our platform just facilitates this for individuals that organize group trips quite regularly. Nice, nice. Man, I could talk about it all day. I think I will leave it till after the story because that's when I love to talk about it. But you're, um, you're originally from where then? 
I'm Swiss originally. So I grew up in Zurich, but then I studied in Geneva. Ah, right. And right now you're in San Francisco. Man, I'd love to know how you got from uh, Switzerland to San Francisco. Did, did you visit a lot of places in between or was it straight from there to there? It was a long, long journey, I can I tell so. you. So I actually, I left Switzerland for the first time when I was 17, just did a high school exchange, very close from here, actually four hours north from here in Northern California. Um, but that was really the last time I lived in a place for more than two years. Afterwards, I came back to Zurich, finished high school. Um, then I went to Brazil for half a year, uh, moved to the French part of Switzerland. I then spent a year in Moscow. After that, I joined uh, an organization called Doctors Without Borders, and I spent one and a half years with them in Southern Africa, in Swaziland. Mm. I then joined another international organization called the International Committee of the Red Cross, and they sent me to Uzbekistan, where I was visiting prisoners of war. And then I was uh, their head of office for one and a half years in Tajikistan, the neighboring country. So that was all before California. <laughs> wow, getting around quite a bit then. I love that, man. I love yeah. that. So you seem to you seem to enjoy getting involved in organizations and causes and everything like that. Is it the is it the wanting to help out that that shifts you towards those things, or what would you say that is? I think there's really two p two components to it. The one thing is definitely kind of just this feeling that I've grown up extremely privileged, right? I mean, I think I realized this really the first time I went to Brazil and um, I was working a bit in the favelas there. I was playing music at the time. And I realized how extremely lucky I am having grown up as a kind of middle-class kid in Switzerland. Mm. And there's this desire to give back. But there's also the second thing. I mean, traveling is just a huge adventure. It's a much more selfish motivation behind traveling. Um, and going to all these crazy places, doing this crazy work I've been doing during pretty much all my 20s is just extremely satisfying. It's, just, it's a weird mix between like James Bond and some diplomat, right? So it, it was, that's a much more selfish component. I love the travel aspect. I know not knowing where I'm going to be tomorrow. Uh, I love not knowing where I'm going to be tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's the fascination about it. Mm, absolutely, man. And I was, uh, I'd recently gone, I have recently gone to Brazil myself and I was in the favelas and I know the exact feeling that you mean where you, you see, you see how, how people are living. I mean, even if it's not the favelas in Rio, it could be anywhere else in the world. And I mean, in the, in the favelas in Rio, so that, you know, there's no windows and, and you see how they're living and it really puts into perspective. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. It puts into perspective these little kind of stresses and annoyances that people have and stuff and I've been really not rethinking it because it's always been in my head but I've been thinking about it a lot recently so if someone has you know they've lost the keys to their BMW you know what I mean it's if it's something <laughs> exactly. like that everything everything kind of seems like you know, if you see the the Kardashians on TV or something, and like she's got a stain on her purse, you know, it, everything seems like that to me. You just think, well, you know, come on, dude, <laughs> like you've got it made. I hundred percent agree. I mean, the, it, it's it's really it really starts the moment you get back on the airplane, and people complain about the littlest things, right? Oh, there's no more red wine or something. You, know, <laughs> you just got on a plane in Rio, you know, you're better off than 99% of people that live there. What are you complaining about? Yeah, that's exactly it. And this is really one of the kind of mind opening aspects of travel that I love so much. Mm. Oh, absolutely, man. There's actually a, a Louis C.K. joke about it. So he's on a plane and it was one of the first planes with Wi-Fi, right? And so he's, you know, traveling through the air with Wi-Fi. Amazing. And then the Wi-Fi goes down and everyone starts going, oh, <laughs> stupid Wi-Fi going down, you know? And it's like you're traveling through the air in a metal box, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. 
it really puts it into perspective, these little things. And every time, you know, I, I see it in other people a lot, obviously, but every time I see it in myself, like if something on my computer doesn't work or, you know, something isn't working quite well, in, I'll instantly say, ah, oh, that kind of sucks. And then I'll go, hold on, no, wait, I'm in a house with windows, I'm warm and I have food. <laughs> like, it's really not that yeah. bad. You know what I mean? Exactly. How would you, if you wanted to bring this to people's attention, you know what I mean? This feeling of, you know, look how privileged is a different word nowadays, but look how privileged you are in a good way. Look how, look how good you have it. You, you don't have to be sad about this little thing. How would you, this, this is me kind of brainstorming here. How would you bring that to people's attention? Would it be, in fact, it could be travel, right? It Travel is definitely part of it. I think the whole mindset is, we always compare ourselves and our, define our happiness by the people that really surround us. I realized this in a crazy way in these last two years when I came to Berkeley and went to business school here. This is really, I was thrown into this class of 200 people. They're all overachievers. They're all brilliant. They're all super smart, super outgoing. And immediately you feel like you, you feel bad about yourself because you don't have certain quality that the others have. Or you haven't, you have never made anywhere cl close to the salary that these people have made, right? Mm. So all of a sudden, for example, when you think about how much I make, how much I earn, my whole expectation shifts and doubles by 200% or triples because I'm surrounded by people that make another salary than I do. And I think that's true of everything. And one way is to travel because that automatically just throws you into a different surroundings. But I believe to really get that feeling of, um, have putting your values to a different standard, you have to spend a significant amount of time in a country. And the best thing is if you have some kind of task there, whether it's if you want to learn a local language or whether if, if you go there to work, because at that time, I think your perspective really starts to change. I think there's ways to do that at home too. Mm, oh yeah, absolutely, man. It's like, it's kind of that mindset shift. And like you say about travel, if you, if you're just staying in a place for a week, say you're staying in Rio, you're in Copacabana for a week in a hotel and you know, and you've got a pool and you go to the beach every day, you won't really, you won't really kind of get this, this feeling that we're going for. But like you say, if you're in a place for a few months and you know, maybe you're working there, you're living there, you learn the language, you mix with the people that are there and you see what life is like there for people. And it doesn't even have to be the favelas in Rio. It could be anywhere. It could be Vietnam. It could be, you know, it could be France. They live totally, totally differently to, you know, people in the US, people in the UK. It doesn't matter where you go. You'll see a different way of life. And like, and as you said, being with different people and on their different paths makes you think about your life and your paths in a different way. And you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most. And if you're hanging around with people that have a completely different life, completely different expectations, in a completely different path to you, then it's really going to make you question your own in a good way. It's going to make you question your own. There's a, there's a phrase that I read actually tonight, who are you when no one's around? And that is really the thing. That is the way to question your own mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. It, for me, it was really, it became so evident when I first came to the US when I was 17. I realized I was actually quite a brat and uh, quite an unpleasant little teenager back home because what happened is that I went to the US for the first three months, I could hardly talk to anybody. My English was terrible and everybody loved me. And then once my English started becoming good enough that I could do my stupid, sarcastic jokes to everyone again, people really started disliking me more and more. And that had profound impact on me, right? I, I realized that... Well, if you really take people out of their comfort zones and put them in a completely new environment, the younger, the better, 
I think it really has a profound and, and positive impact on people. It can be, it's really hard to go through that process. And I've seen people that couldn't handle it um, and that are not just not made for, for this intense kind of traveling or changing environments. But if you have the wish to do so, if you think you can handle it, it's one of the best experiences in your life. Mm, absolutely. What do you think about, say, um, if you had a child and say that child was traveling around from a very, very early age or even not just traveling around the world? This, this could even work with if you're constantly moving house and they're moving schools and they're with new people all the time. Do you reckon that's, um, you know, do you reckon that's going to shape them in a, I don't want to say beneficial way, but in the way that we're talking about, would they be open minded to more people, more views and be more kind of introspective as to how they are? Oh, I thought about this so much because I, it's definitely, I want to keep a traveling lifestyle all my life. I can't imagine just settling down in one place and live there forever. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of, I have quite a few friends who had this lifestyle, um, especially back when I was with the Red Cross, because it's kind of a diplomat lifestyle. And I have a very good friend. She's actually now a very famous musician. She's called Sophie Hunger. She's from Switzerland. Um, and she grew up as a diplomat daughter. Mm. And I am torn about it. I think it, for some people it does wonders, it does good, but it's especially as a young kid growing up, it must be incredibly weird to kind of reinvent your personality all three or four years as diplomat kids do, right? Um, I think it can be very beneficial, but it also has its dangers. And I wouldn't know how to navigate this. Um, I guess you just have to wing it as you go along. That totally makes sense, man. It could really, I don't know, it could affect you in different ways. You know, you could, if you don't know really who you are, because if if who you are is defined by the five people you're around the most, and you're never around people enough for them to define you, exactly. then, then who are you? Exactly. Yeah, man, no, that's very true. We're getting deep on this, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also love what you say about... Uh, and I totally agree with my circumstances. I could never see myself um, settling down somewhere. It's never been a, a goal of mine. And there'd always be that that itch. And I, it goes back to what you said at the start. You, you never know where you're going to be tomorrow. And that's the fun. That's the fun of it. And yeah. I guess that's the, I'm going deep here again. I guess that's the fun of life. You know, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, where you're going to be tomorrow. If you knew what, you know, what, we, what your life was going to be like from now until the end, then how fun would that be? You know, not at all. <laughs> I think, I guess some people crave the stability, but for people like us or just travel addicted people in general, I think we see a change in society right now, which goes far away from these lifetime jobs that we used to have or that our parents used to have and much more into short-term assignments. You change jobs all two, three, four years. And this really plays into the hands for like for people like you and me that mm. like to travel that much and change their lifestyle all once in a while. Absolutely, man. And as soon as the internet came along, it's like, we can do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to Very be in true. one place. Absolutely, man. Now, I want to get onto your story. I'm really excited about this. We talked a little bit before the call about uh, about what the story is going to be. And I can't wait to hear it, man. Uh, can't wait to hear it. Whereabouts does it take place? It takes place in Moscow. 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 Sweet. Right then. And if you could give the story a name, what would you call it? I think I'd call it From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love. Great Bond film, eh? Loving it, it right? <laughs> I can't wait for this. Right then, you're listening to the Travel Stories podcast, and this is Johannes Kerpel with From Russia With Love. So it was 2006, and I was an exchange student in Moscow at that time. 
it was a crazy, crazy choice to go to Moscow. I knew nothing about the country. I knew nothing about the language, yet, yet I ended up living there. I remember the first time I arrived at the Moscow State University, I was just baffled. The Moscow State University is one of these buildings that come straight out of a Stalinist dreams. It was one of Stalin's seven sisters, as they called them. At the time, it was built by German war prisoners. Uh, it hosted officially 10,000 students. Unofficially, there were at least 15 to 20,000 students living in this one building. At the time, it was the largest building outside of the United States. So I was sharing this room with this Dutch guy. It was tiny. My bed was 65 centimeters instead of our average 90 centimeters. The moment you'd roll over, you'd literally fall out of your bed. It was a fascinating time, but I didn't understand that much of the country yet. When one night, out of a sudden, there was this big and the fire alarm goes off like crazy. Our whole sector, so about 5,000 people evacuate. Everybody streams into the courtyard. It was freezing cold, late March. We stand out there in the courtyard and rumors start flying around. The most we heard was, oh, it's probably a gas cooker from someone that went off. Totally plausible. People were cooking in their little tiny rooms all the time. Since I was standing at minus 10 degrees Celsius in the cold in my boxer shorts, I really couldn't wait to go in. So I saw a few students sneaking back in. I sneaked back in. My roommate said, no, nah, they didn't clear it yet. I don't want to stay out. He was already a bit more rule abiding back then than me. So went back to bed fall peacefully back asleep. At nine o'clock in the morning, he storms in and he's like, are you crazy? You're in here? Haven't you heard about the bomb? It turns out the explosion, the explosion was really from a bomb. And when the first people like me started screaming back, streaming back into the building, they discovered the second bigger bomb. The first bomb was supposed to be a warning so that everybody leaves the building. The bomb was placed two stories exactly underneath my room. For some reason it didn't detonate. For some reason I didn't die. It was one of the most surreal feelings I've ever had in my whole life. This weird feeling of danger, of threat, but totally not touchable. I couldn't put my finger on it. I just didn't feel safe anywhere. I immediately moved out of the building, stayed for three nights at a friend's place in the center of Moscow. But I had this constant unease on me. I slept really badly. One of the most strangest feelings in my life. Russian authorities, though, didn't see any problem with any of this. Half an hour after the bomb went off, director of the school went in front of the media and said it was probably a few chemistry students playing with material. That, of course, was complete BS. I was living in the, for, in the section of the Obshizhitsia, uh, of the big student dorm, that was mainly housed foreigners. There were about a hundred Western foreigners, but the other thousands of foreigners there were people mainly from Central Asia and other parts of the former Soviet republics. And Russia is a deeply, deeply xenophobic country. There's a lot of racism going on. And it is pretty clear that this attack was targeted towards foreigners mainly people, what they call journey, 
black people. They're not black as we know it, but people from ex-Soviet Republicans, from the Caucasus, from Central Asia. It was truly disturbing. In the following days, a few police officers came by. Um, obviously, nobody believed the whole chemistry student story. And the reaction from the university was very interesting as well. Instead of actually really doing something or investigating the case, they just dispersed all the hundred Western students to all kind of different places in this huge building. So we wouldn't at least all be targeted at the same time. Again, this story left me really with this incredibly strange feeling. Anytime there was the slightest clack or the regular fire drills that they had all the time anyway, I panicked. I remember a couple of months later, some tube in my fridge exploded and I woke up again in the middle of the night and I ran as fast as I could outside of the building. Although I realized halfway down that there was absolutely nothing wrong, there was no fire alarm and nothing. I'm really happy I made it through there, but it was definitely a weird, weird sensation to get this wake-up call from Russia with love. That was Johannes Koeppel with From Russia With Love. Johannes, thank you very much for that story, man. You had me gripped from the start. That was such <laughs> an enjoyable lesson, man. Thank you for that. No, absolutely. It was a pleasure to share. Man, I want to know, what were your first thoughts when you heard when you heard the bomb drop, when you heard the explosion and it woke you up? What was your initial, initial thoughts? The initial thought was really like some somebody stupidly just did something because... This building was 70 years old. They didn't even know how to repair the, the, the escalators anymore. It was ridiculous. I mean, that was it was, a, it was a wreck, right? So, And people were doing all kinds of dangerous stuff in there. I never thought there would actually be the possibility of really a terrorist attack. Mm. So I just ran outside, and I was freezing my ass off, and I was cold, but I didn't think I was actually in any, any danger. Yeah, yeah. It's It always seems to go that way. Like, you always think something happens and you go, oh, that's just that. Nothing ever happens to me when I, you know what I mean? Nothing, you know, bums go off around the world, but I'm never there. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. So did this experience, did it like, did it change the way you think about life in any way? Because these experiences where you narrowly escape something or, you know, it could have been you or something like that, they, they always tend to have different changes on different people. So I'm interested to find out how it, or if it changed your the way you feel about you know life or in general or anything like that i'm not i can't i can't say it kind of changed my life philosophy or anything like that i had the same wish to to work for humanitarian organizations afterwards and i did work in war zones afterwards which is a bit crazy but um i think what it really did change is my attitude or my behavior for the rest of my time in russia um for some weird reason that kind of made me fit in more um i think because i had this 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 huge scare and this weirdly unease feeling in the coming days, it, it kind of carried on during my stay there. Um, I tend to, what the Russians do, I tend to look less at people in the street, I tend to smile less at people. I, I think I became generally more harsh toward the outside, towards people I wouldn't know, but much, much more friendly and super open towards the people that were close to me. Because that's the, the fascination of, of, of Russia, right? If you go there for the first time, you think what incredibly arrogant and, and careless people these are. But the moment you make any connections to anybody, they're the most hospitable people in the world, right? It's this weird contradiction. And because of this scarce 
I became more that way for the rest of my time in Russia. Interesting. And did you did you change change back when you left Russia? Was it just when you were in Russia when you felt like this? Yeah, honestly, it it was only when I was in Russia. And I used to listen to a lot of Russian rap because it helped me with my Russian, etc. It was just interesting. And for a couple of years after that, it's kind of gone now, I realize. But for a couple of years after that, every time I would listen to back to the music, I put them on my headphones, I'd be back in that mode. It was extreme. It was, it was crazy. Um, I would be back in a more focused mode, more cold mode, where I would really just mainly look towards myself. And the whole my whole kind of inner feeling would change. No it's way. weird. Yeah, it's amazing how music can do that, man. You listen to, like, sometimes I, I, I want to listen to an album, but I'll leave it until I'm in a certain place. And then I'll play it there. And then, like you say, every time you, you play it, you think of that place and that time, you know? It's really interesting how it can do that. Smell is the same as well. You smell, totally. you know, it's, oh, it's great. I love that, man. Anyway, I want to, I want to flip it a bit and start talking about We Travel. Man, I've been checking it out. It's so cool, man. It is really, really cool. I want to know how it started as well. How did you get started with We Travel? Where did the idea come from? And what were your roots, man? Yeah, absolutely. So I was obviously traveling has been with me for a long time. And when I was working for Doctors Without Borders and later the Red Cross, I was in these very exotic places and especially Central Asia. It's not so easy to travel there if you don't speak at least Russian just kind of linger franca and what happened is that just friends would visit me and then friends of friends and in the end just people from europe would hear that i do occasionally these tours take people around for a week or two or organize their trip to go with a great guide somewhere in tajikistan in the mountains and i realized organizing these tours is really hard coordinating all the people collecting money is really annoying and to market these tours is even worse Right, because you are just one little organizers against all these huge tour operators that have all the SEO market, that have all the online marketing that they want. And I was really wondering, why isn't there a platform, a kind of Airbnb for small people that organize these long, passionate group tours? Because in the end, it's so much more interesting to go with somebody that does it out of passion, maybe part time, maybe as part of their job, than to go with a huge professional tour operator that runs the same tour every two weeks. I think I had this aha thing when I was when I was actually traveling to India for the wedding of a friend and I met this Indian guy who who lived in Switzerland but took people from Switzerland to India. And I realized there's a lot of people like that that out there that do this like me. This is where I realized, hey, there really there is a need for a company like this and this is gonna change the way people travel. Man, I love that. It's like, like you say, it's not the big companies that just have this tour and there's no love. It's, it's people that actually want to, they're going, you know, going on the tour with you or the, or it's something they've done before or it's something they have a huge interest in. And it's, it's real, it's kind of real people doing real things. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's always weird when, when companies, uh, you know, organize stuff and get involved in stuff like that. And maybe it's not, you know, their ideal thing. Maybe they don't, they're not even into travel. You know what I mean? the people that are, that are organizing them but when you've got someone that is organizing their own tour they've done it you know maybe or they love it it's something different i love that man yeah absolutely it's really putting the choice back to the people you know it's um totally. and you know that it's going to be a great time because they wouldn't just organize a tour you know like maybe some companies would that yeah we'll hit there and we'll hit there and then if we get them to go there we'll get a commission from here and yada 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 you know you exactly. know it's all done from yeah. passion you know that's so cool yeah no, it's great. And I'm happy. It's also great that people can still earn money with it, right? It's um, it's really a great way to do it. It's funny because we really, so what happened is I came 
to Berkeley. I went to business school really with this idea in mind. I came here to California because it's the place to start an internet startup, obviously. <laughs> and um, when we first built a prototype, we had tour guides in mind. But what happened is that we released this prototype. We asked a few of our friends at business school to test it. And before we knew it, a couple of months later, all of our friends from business schools all over the country, every top 10 business schools in the U.S. was using our tool to organize their own student private trips, right? <laughs> so that's kind of one of these markets or use cases that we just stumbled upon into, which was fantastic, of course. Nice. So you do trips for people just by themselves. You do trips that people just want to organize for maybe somewhere they've been. And I understand you do things like yoga trips and specific specific trips for things like that. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So what we realized is we are really a tool for any of these organizers. Um, and what we realized our sweet spot, the people that find us most useful are people that have very small operations. They maybe have a couple of trips a year. Maybe they do it as part of their job. Maybe it's their full-time jobs, but they're not a larger company yet. Um, and especially the yoga market just seemed to fit this niche, this niche really well. Um, there's so many great yoga retreats, yoga holidays, meditation retreats, etc., that are normally organized by individuals. And they often still do it by hand or they use PayPal or they use some kind of weird solution that they're not really happy with. And they just started using our product naturally. So this is kind of the next small little niche that we want to move into now that we're actively moving into right now, the yoga travel market. Nice, nice. So if I wanted to create a trip and I wanted to, you know, go from wherever, if I wanted to head to Africa and go to a bunch of different countries there, and I wanted to go with, you know, maybe four or five other people, and I wanted to set this up, how would I go about doing that with WeTravel? Sure, absolutely. You just go to wetravel.com. Uh, you create a login and you create your trip online. Once you created your trip, you get this beautiful page where, which you can send to everybody that you want to invite, all the people you want to market this trip to. You can also add this trip directly into your own website and you collect the money through us. It's completely free for US citizens. We have low credit card fees. You manage your bookings through it. You manage your communication through it. You manage all kinds of stuff just through us instead of on some weird Excel sheet or through thousands of emails. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the converse as well. If I if I wanted to go on a trip somewhere, I wanted to go on a planned trip and I, I just I didn't know where I wanted to go, I just wanted to go somewhere. If I headed to We Travel, what would I be looking at and how would I get involved? Absolutely. So currently as I mentioned, we are heavily focused on on yoga holidays. So if you're looking for a yoga retreat anywhere in the world, we can definitely accommodate you. We have really some of the most amazing teachers. We know all of our organizers individually. We have phone calls with them. We check them for quality. We verify that they're, everybody that is publicly on our site is really uh, a great organizer. Um, we also have other trips, such, for example, as dance trips to Cuba. Um, we have hiking in the Himalayas. We have all kinds of trips. But currently, if you go there as a traveler that looks for a trip, it's mainly in the yoga space. Nice, nice. I think I might go on there later tonight myself, actually, have a look what's going on around there. That'd be so cool. Nice. <laughs> Loving it. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, I've loved talking about We Travel, and I've loved our kind of, we went a little bit deep with our conversation, and I, I enjoyed that a lot, man. I never get to go yeah, I like it too. <laughs> talking about I like life. it too. <laughs> it's great. It man. was It was very, very different than my normal we travel introduction pitch that i would give i really like it i enjoyed it a lot so thank you for this really appreciate it oh no worries it's a lot of a lot of fun man thanks so much for coming on dude absolutely all right have a good one hey guys don't forget this is one of your last chances to win the grail ultralight water purifier all you need to do is send us a question 
for our end of season Q&A, email me, Hayden, at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. Head to the website or check us out on Facebook. Just search Travel Stories Podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Travel Stories Podcast. Get in touch with Hayden on Twitter at Travel Stories UK or online at TravelStoriesPodcast.com where you can find all of the show notes and resources. Subscribe to the show to join us next time for another immersive, inspiring and international travel story on the Travel Stories Podcast.